Hi, I'm Aurora Barry and I'm reading from James 13 to 18 from the NIV. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. They then, after desire has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. No, don't deceive my dear brothers and sisters. Every good, every good and perfect gift is from above, um, from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Thanks, Aurora. Whoa, it's me. Snap, crackle, pop. Definitely me. We're good. I ain't touched nothing. We'll see how we go, hey? Hopefully we're right. Sweet. Okay, we'll see how we go with that. By the way, seeing I've got the sound guy's attention, if I was to stand down there, would that be an issue with the speakers? Sweet, we'll try it next time, eh? I hate being on stage, I really do, especially when it's an evening service. I'd prefer to be down there. Is that a problem for anyone in the congregation if I was to stand down there? No, praise God. Maybe we'll do that next week. Okay, so we're continuing our series in James. And tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at, um, obviously, the verses that have just been read out and the temptation that's involved in that. And last week, we, we heard that greeting that James gave, and he's speaking to those in the scattered church. And he wanted them to know that even though they'd been scattered, they were actually part of the church, the whole church. And he didn't want them to feel excluded or anything like that. And I think that's the message for us when we're in those deep, dark times when we feel pressured and tempted and feel like our sin is excluding us we're still part of God's great church we're still part of his greater plan and so there's no need to feel that you're any less a part of that church and and so James has included these guys who've been scattered um, because of the persecution that broke out uh, in Acts 8 but these people are they're out in the wilderness they've left everything that they know and they possibly left at very short notice because of the persecution that was breaking out. And they're in this new place. They're trying to work out how they're going to provide for themselves. They're concerned about who they can trust and trying to somehow put down some roots in this new place, this new area for them and their families. And they're struggling because they possibly weren't expecting their new life in Christ to be like this. 
Paul says to them that the trials they are now facing are part of life. And in the midst of our lives, we seem to forget that too. And the Bible doesn't promise that when we come to Christ, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be rosé. Instead, it says if we commit to Christ, the trials will come. But if we stand firm, if we stay true to our commitment to Jesus, and if we are obedient to him, when the trials come, they're going to benefit us. They're going to strengthen us in our faith. And then when more trials come, we'll be able to stand firm. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your presence with us tonight. And Lord, we want this to be a place where we can learn more of you. I pray that'll be the case tonight. Will you reveal to us, Lord, the truth of your word? Will you challenge us from what you say through this passage in James tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't think there'd be any of us who would not agree that it'd be awesome that when we gave our lives to Christ, we actually become perfect. The trials and the temptations and everything that come against it are not a problem because we don't feel we have to struggle against them. Would that be awesome? In fact, they're not even a struggle, are they? They're just something that gets thrown at us and it's just like Teflon. It just flows off. It's not a problem at all. We'd be able to stand there before God and man, perfect, without any desire to do anything that was counter to God's will, that would tarnish his reputation or our reputation. But our reality is very, very different. Regardless of how much we want to live a life that is perfect and pleasing to God, we mess up. And it's not just once. It's again and again. And we want all evil and its desires to leave us. We want, I actually believe we all want to live lives that are pleasing to God. But the thing is, we come to Jesus and these things aren't gone. They're still there. They're still present. And so we're aware of the many temptations that we face. And James begins here in verse 13 to explain how we should deal with these temptations. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. It seems that most of us have this default position when something goes wrong, it's someone else's fault. Now, I'm sure that's none of you guys here. I'm sure that it's just the people I've encountered outside of church. But it seems to be part of our sinful nature where I can't actually say, you know what? I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. I know I've hurt you. And I've had people, happy days, this, possibly this section I'm talking to, hey, a few over here. Who's seen happy days? Who, whoever saw the Fonz say sorry? You did see that episode? He actually does say sorry once. And he goes, I'm... And the guy ends up saying... I know, Fonz, you're sorry. He goes, no, I've got to say this. I'm Does he actually say it in the end? I think it was just like slipped out. But there's people like that. They just don't have that word in their vocabulary. And when it comes to the time when they should be saying sorry, they stumble upon it. They find it so incredibly difficult. Think back to Genesis 3. We got Adam and Eve in the garden. They're living this perfect life. Everything is going absolutely sweet. Then Eve gets this fruit off a tree. It is not an apple. It is not any fruit that's on this earth at this stage because it was in the garden and then there was an angel put at the garden. That's the only tree that's like that. We don't know what that fruit was. 
But anyway, Eve gets this fruit, and she thinks it's pretty cool. She eats it, finds out she's naked, so does Adam, because he takes some of the fruit off her as well. And then when God comes, he says, where are you? And they say, we hid because we were naked. And God says, who told you that? What's Adam say? This woman, you gave me, gave me the fruit, and I ate. And Eve says, the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. See, Eve just sees this need to defend herself, and Adam, I mean, he was great. You know, the crazy thing is, what people don't like acknowledging, especially men, is that Adam was actually with Eve when she took the fruit off the tree. He could have said, hey, love, don't touch that. God said not to. But instead he's like, yeah, okay, let's go for it. Sin is a terrible thing. None of them actually said, we messed up, God. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You told us not to. And Adam realistically blames God as well as blaming Eve. And James is here saying, you can't do that. Where it says, let no one say. That's actually a command. It's very powerful. It's lost in translation a lot. And it's really assertive. It is said as a command. He's basically saying, do not dare say that God is tempting you. Don't do it. Because it's not possible. That's not the way God is. Don't try and shift the blame from yourself to God. Don't make this about him. Because he's not tempted. And he doesn't tempt anyone. And I don't think it can be spelt out any clearer. There's so many of us who are caught in habitual sin. And we say things like, I can't help it. The temptation is too strong. I was made this way. This is the way that I am wired. And what we're trying to do is shift the blame from ourselves to someone else. And in this case, it's God. And James is saying, that's not the way it is. You want to blame God for making you susceptible to this sin, but this is something that's in you. James 14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. God is good. Scripture says that through and through. Evil does not come from him. It comes from within us. The temptations we face are personal. The things that tempt me will not be things that tempt you. The struggles that you face are not the struggles that I face. The struggles that guys face are different to the struggles that girls face. And the reason for this is that each is a personal, individual desire that is born from self-interest. My desire for my self-gratification, something that will be pleasing for me. And we may wrongly try and blame others, Satan or even God, but the truth is, it's us. And I know that's hard for many of us to accept. Because we don't want to believe that that's true. We want to continue to say we're generally good people. There's a few little things wrong, but generally we're good. But we can't deny what's before us in Scripture. This is what God says. We are lured by our own desire. How many of us are fishermen here that use lures? No? 
Oh, we've got one. Praise God, brother. Thank you. This is the illustration that is actually being given here by James. You know, these, actually, you, you use a lot of lures, don't you, I bet? Yeah, you're good, aren't you? Yeah, and the object of a lure, it's actually a fake bait. It's not real. It's, it's made to look like whatever. And um, do you use soft plastics mainly, or do you use hard lures, poppers? Hard bodies? Surface ones or divers? Divers? Yeah. Okay, so the, the point of a diver is when, when you reel back in, you, there's this action that makes that look like a real fish, and so a, a real bait fish. And so what happens, the fish sees that, and with the movement, do you use rattlers? You don't use rattles in yours? Nah, I didn't think they worked either. I'm, I don't fish a lot, don't think that, but I used to. And so this lure will move in the water, and if you've got the action just right, it'll attract fish. Big fish, good fish. I caught the greatest flathead I ever caught on a soft plastic, actually. But it, it was just awesome. And, and, you know, there's nothing like just fooling this fish. And it hits this thing so hard. In fact, in the Solomon Islands and places like that, you talk to the people from up there, they actually play a bit of a game with the fish and they will actually tie a spoon, to, a silver spoon, to, to a piece of line and throw it out over the back. They're so crazy, they just hit that again and again and again. It's mad, some brilliant footage. But the thing is, the fish are enticed by that and they just cannot stop hitting it. And by the time they realise it's not a real fish and that there's actually a barb in there, it's too late. And in their case, striking that lure leads to being on the table with me. It leads to death. And so, it's the same for us. This thing gets dropped in front of us. It's like that lure. And it gets moved and thrown in front of us just at the right time when we're most vulnerable. It's usually something that when we're in our right minds, when we're thinking about how we should be relating to God, we know that it's wrong. But it gets dropped in front of us when we're most vulnerable. And we have a, joy, a choice. We can take that fake bait or we can just move away. And so often we've got a tendency to just strike that bait just like the fish does. And the reality is It leads to death. Think about what's being said in verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And when I'm tempted, I have this choice. If I feed the desire or feed that temptation, if I dwell upon that thing, quite often I give into it. And this says there's a conception that takes place. We don't often look at Scripture and think about what it's actually saying in these types of verses. We, but it's talking about childbirth. And so the child is conceived and it grows and ultimately it gives birth. But when it is fully grown, the baby that comes forward is dead. It's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it? The child is still born. It's ugly. And so often the sins that we commit, we are drawn away from because we think they're good. We think it's going to bring us pleasure. We think it's going to bring us joy. The anticipation and joy of an expectant mother is incredible. And I was just delighted when Elena was pregnant with our kids. 
Both our kids are miracle birth, so I can't actually have kids apparently, so praise God. It's, it's amazing that um, we had two kids. But I have friends who went through the same process and they expectantly waited for this child and then when the day came, their, their child was born without life. And all those hopes, all those expectations, all those dreams come crashing down so rapidly. That's what James is talking about. There's nothing worse. That's how serious sin is and we, we just don't seem to get it. So often the sins we commit, we're drawn to because we think they're good. We think they're going to bring us pleasure. We think they're going to make us feel good. The result of sin every single time is death. There's no other option in Scripture. And at some point, either in this life or the next, our sins are going to end in depression, regret, remorse. And if that sin remains unconfessed and not dealt with, it will end in death. And the word that is used for death here is a word that is used to describe the soul leaving the body. And so the commentators mainly speak about this chapter. They say that what is being spoken about here is in a spiritual sense where there's this separation that occurs spiritually between us and God when we sin. And James' final warning here is, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And James is expressing his love to these new Christians, to these people who have been scattered, who are still trying to establish themselves in the faith. And he's saying, be careful. My love for you prompts me to have these difficult conversations with you. My love for you to see you have your best relationship with God calls me to talk to you about this. I'm concerned more for your spiritual well-being than anything else. That's why James has written and he's calling for them not to de be deceived or not to kid themselves that what they're doing is okay. He's asking them to take a step back. Be clear-headed about your actions. Think about what you're doing. What are your motivations? Is what you're doing honouring to God? And the reality for us is, although we long and strive for perfection as the Bible tells us our progress with God should be, it is continually hampered and sometimes even stopped because of us giving in to the subtle draw and power of our fallen and sinful nature. We get taken away from God by our temptations, the desires that are within us, and that sin leads to death. But it's not all doom and gloom. God is good. We sang before the song Generous King. And that's what leads into this section. You know, every good and perfect thing comes from God. God is a generous king. And our God is so incredible, gracious and loving. He never has wanted and never will want to leave us in that place where it is all about death and destruction and being separated from him. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. And James 17 and 18 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
And these last two verses in this section are so powerful. James has said that the temptation does not come from God, and here he lays out what God does actually do. God sends every good and perfect gift. God initiates everything good that is in our lives. God is the creator of all things, and that's hinted at that he's above all things when it speaks about the Father of lights. And the other thing we know about God is that he is never changing. He is constant and true. He can be trusted. And what he brings forth or births is the word of truth. And James says that he, James, and the people he is writing to are the first fruits of God's new creation. James' intention and point is that God controls all things. He is above or outside this world and universe. He's constant and unchanging. Where all the powers we know, everything on this earth that we allure to, that we're told to follow, that we're told to believe in, that's the shifting and changing shadows that are spoken of. And God never changes. James has told us that the destiny of those who follow their evil desires is death. But now he shows us the alternative. James says, God gives birth to us. When God created mankind, his intention was for us to have a relationship with him, to walk in the garden with him each afternoon, to share that time with God, to enjoy his presence and love. But sin messed that up. And we keep pursuing that sin because we like it. We enjoy it. It makes us feel good. But this chapter, this passage says that that leads to death. And death is eternal separation from God. And James is telling us that God took the necessary steps to turn that around. We can have that relationship with God again. And of course, God's greatest gift is the gift of his son. God knew there was no way we could live the perfect life that we have to live in order to meet his standard, the standard of a pure and righteous God. But God wasn't satisfied with that. God took all the necessary steps that he had to take in order to be true to himself as a pure, righteous God, but also to save us. He did the only thing that he could. He allowed or he sent Jesus to live that pure, righteous life for us. And Jesus was the greatest good gift that God could give. And Jesus gave it all for us. He was willing to suffer at the hands of his creation, to ultimately be killed. But the incredible thing is, because he lived that perfect life, it's not the end. He died, he was buried, but he rose again on the third day, proving that he alone had victory over sin. He alone had victory over death. And he was the first to rise to new life, the first of many. He died so that we can be restored into right relationship with God. And it didn't end there. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we're put back into that right relationship. That's what we call our justification. But there's more to it than that. There's our sanctification. It's that ongoing daily work of God in our lives where we can live holy lives for him. We just need to give each and every day to him. He sends us Holy Spirit to indwell us. And when those temptations come, it's Holy Spirit who says, you know this isn't right. You know you should walk away. 
you know you should honor God here. And if we listen to his voice, he will strengthen and guide us. He'll encourage us to continue to walk in the ways that are right. God will never leave us or ever forsake us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be in glory with him. And all we have to do is keep coming back to him, asking him for forgiveness, asking him to guide us in the way that we should go, how we should live. And he's more than happy to do that for us. So what does that mean for us? Well, seriously, some of us may have things we have to confess tonight. Some of us may have those temptations that we have given into. For some of us, that may be something that's habitual, something that continues to just draw you in and pull you away from God. Can I encourage you? Come forward for prayer. You're not going to get any persecution down the front here. You're not going to get any judgment. You're just going to get someone who's very appreciative that you've taken that step, not to speak to me, but to get right with God. Can I challenge you to do that? Don't walk out of here tonight without dealing with that, if that's you. But when we look at the book of James, there's this emphasis on living in our faith, being active or putting James's teaching into practice. And a good way of resisting temptation is to memorize scripture. And some applicable passages may be something like these two, 1 Corinthians 10.13, speaking about the temptation which is common to all men, but God being faithful, not letting us to be tempted beyond what we can endure. God will again help us in the midst of that. And Psalm 51, 9 and 10 says, Hide your face from sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit in me. It's one of the things I pray regularly in the morning in my quiet times. Lord, reveal my heart to me. Show me where I'm at with you at the moment. Clean, cleanse my heart. Renew me today. Let me serve you the way that I should. And there'll be other passages which will be more beneficial to you. Don't think you have to get these. Get passages that actually speak into your heart, but learn them. You should memorize them so that you can recall God's truth when the temptation comes. There's nothing better than quoting scripture. Remember when Satan led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted? Everything Satan threw at him, Jesus quoted scripture. We have to get to know our scriptures. Possibly one of the most popular passages would be this one when it comes to temptation. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Memorize these things. They're truths of Scripture. But whatever Scripture you memorize, make it something that speaks to you, something that will help you redirect your thoughts to God and to focus fully upon him and not upon your temptations or those things that draw you away from God. Last week we spoke about journaling. I think I've spoken about it a few times, but I really hope you're making that effort to journal. So this week, if you're journaling, uh, I hope some of you have decided to do that. Um, But this week, write out the sins that you struggle with. Write out those things that are real temptations for you and, and list them all down. But then ask God to reveal to you the times that you've been able to resist that temptation with his help. Write the triumphs that you've had over that sin. Write about how you felt when you did that for God and his glory. And and I believe that God will strengthen your relationship as you look at those things. And I believe that you will actually grow stronger when you choose to obey him and move away from those temptations. When you're praying this week, think about those you know who are struggling with temptations. And I'm sure... We all know someone. 
and make it a point this week to pray for them. Ask God to strengthen them in the faith. And, and, and don't get an aloof attitude that you're better than that person or anything like that. There go I, but by the grace of God. Whatever temptations come against them and lures them away, there's one right around the corner for you. We're all sinners. Pray for those people. Ask God to strengthen them in the faith. Ask God to draw them to him. It's something we don't like talking about too much. But if you don't have a mature Christian person or couple of people around you, can I encourage you this week to seek some out? Can I encourage you to find at least two other people that you can be accountable to? Two other people that you can share some of those temptations. You need to find someone who's strong in the faith, someone who's going to guide you correctly, but one who is going to be willing to ask the difficult questions. When I was looking for a mentor, as I entered into pastoring, um, I found many people who would pat me on the back and tell me what a great pastor I was and how brilliant it was and the work I was doing. I dropped them really quickly. I was looking for someone who'd kick me up the butt. I was looking for someone who would hold me accountable. I found that guy in Graham Circum. He's been my mentor for many, many years now. And man, he calls it the way he sees it. And that's an incredible blessing for me. It's pulled me back into line so many times. And I think we all need those Christian friends who are willing to call it the way it is and call us to account, call us back to Christ. That's what James did with these guys. And we've got to be willing to do that. That accountability does some interesting things for us. Um, uh, I, I've been away on a study week this last week. I was at Malion College uh, looking at conflict resolution. And um, part of that was we, we were given lots of illustrations and examples. And a lot of these were actually true stories. The names were changed to protect the guilty and innocent. But um, one of the stories was this woman had come to faith and she'd been living in a relationship with this man. And, and, and she'd come to faith and she actually contacted her pastor and said... I know that the relationship I was in is not a wholesome relationship and I've severed that relationship and short of that man coming to Christ, I actually don't want to be with him. It wasn't healthy. But I have to meet with him and, and, and I have to sort out everything we own. And, and so I want you to call me tomorrow because I'm meeting him this afternoon to have coffee. I want you to call me tomorrow and ask me how it went because I'm afraid because I've been with him so long that I'll be tempted to actually go with him again. Can, can you just call me tomorrow? And anyway, he said, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. So the next day, the pastor phoned her and said, how did it go? And she was gushing. She was so excited. She said, it went really well. We just talked about what we had to settle. We did all that. And I came home. It was brilliant. There was no problems whatsoever. And he said, what, what made the difference for you? He said, what was it? She said, I was so afraid of coming to you and telling you what I'd done. It was enough to stop me from taking that step. She goes, yes, I believe God would have strengthened me and helped me. She said, but the fear of coming and talking to you about what I'd done was just too much. And so we have God working in our lives, but it's also good to have a trusted Christian brother or sister who's going to ask those difficult questions. And sometimes that's enough, as it was in this case. So please, find people you can be accountable, regardless of age. Find people you can be accountable to. I want to challenge you to start volunteering in our community too. Um, you don't have to do this long term. There's many organisations that work with people whose lives have been destroyed through greed, through addictions, through lust, through pride. And they all welcome help. 
in one degree or another. And uh, I want to encourage you to think about helping out. We have chaplains in our schools who are working at this from the other end where they want to actually instill in people uh, good practices in life. And just going and helping them at a breakfast is something that's an incredible blessing for our chaplains. I've started recently at uh, Runcorn State High School. Uh, so I spend time there every Monday morning uh, doing the breakfast. And uh, I encourage you to do the same. There's plenty of other organisations. Uh, our life group is going to be cooking for the Hope Foundation again very, very soon because the meals are dwindling again. And they said they'd love us to cook them some more meals. So that's another avenue that uh, we can actually serve in our community. But please think about that. Uh, even if there's a few of you who want to do a group activity and you don't know exactly what to do, there's this Salvation Army uh, in the centre of the city. Um, they've got this thing called Street Level. You can just go and cook a barbecue and help them um, for one evening just, just to serve people who are between the street and... Um, permanent housing, and they love people coming in and helping them. I've done it several times with uh, former young adults groups and things like that, but it's just ways that we can serve. And finally, this one's important. We all have friends who've wandered away from God, and it's because of a sin or something that they've committed. And for us, so many times, it's difficult to reconnect with these people because of what they've done. I want you to pray about that, those people that you're thinking about even now. I want you to pray about those people that you've, you've cut off, and, and sometimes rightfully so. Don't, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not judging anyone. But I'd like to challenge you to think about reconnecting them, re reconnecting with them. You may be praying for them even now, but perhaps God has tonight said you should reconnect, you should contact them. And just as James lovingly calls out those who he sees as being deceived, you can lovingly contact your friend. There's no judgment in that phone call, no persecution. It's just a reconnection, the opening of the door to welcome them back. And hopefully, God willing, they'll return to God. He's waiting with open arms to welcome them back. Let's finish in prayer. I'll hand over to the worship team. But please... Any of those things that we've talked about, any of the application, even if you want prayer for that friend that I've just spoken about, I would love to spend time praying with you. If there's things, that temptations that you give in too easily and you'd like prayer for that, please come forward. I'd love to pray for you. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for this word from James. It's a difficult word, Lord, but we want to focus on the good gifts that you pour out upon us, Lord. We want to focus on how great you are, Lord. And Lord, you've made a way for us even when we think we can't come to you because of the stuff in our lives. You say, no, I stand and I wait for you. Jesus died for those sins. Just come to me and say you're sorry. And so, Lord, I pray for a movement of Holy Spirit here tonight. I know you've already been here, Lord. I just pray for a movement of Holy Spirit that you'll soften people's hearts towards you, that they'll realize they can come and repent. You're waiting with open arms. And Lord, for others who realize they need to reconnect with some people they've perhaps cut off because of sin in their lives. Again, Lord, stir in their hearts, bring them forward. Let them pray for those people. And Lord, may you open the door to bring those people back to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.